It's 743. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Chuck Anzalevich. There have been a lot of discussions about fixing issues with the State Department of Health and Human Resources, but not a lot of action so far. Our reporters discuss what it will take to get there. The foundation is funding and data. You need to have the tools you need to be able to accomplish what you need to do. Outside of that, you have um, you need to have ambitious goals and you need to have realistic plans to get to those goals. That story and more coming up on this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. The West Virginia Public Service Commission has denied an Appalachian power request that would have raised electricity rates. On Friday, the PSC ruled that the company's request to recover $297 million in costs from ratepayers. Those costs were related to the high price of coal and natural gas and the scarce availability of coal in late 2021 and early 2022. If approved, that would have increased the average residential user's monthly bill by about $18. Local governments, industry customers, residents, and consumer groups uniformly opposed it. Appalachian Power is an underwriter of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Two Dunbar City police officers are facing a civil trial in an excessive force case where a man died, but that is now on hold while a federal grand jury moves forward. U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of West Virginia, Irene Berger, granted a stay against discovery portion of the case while a federal grand jury moves forward. The original complaint alleges the officers used excessive force against Michael Scott Jr., slamming his head into the pavement and denied him medical care, causing his death two days later. The, suit w- the lawsuit was filed by Michael Scott Sr. on behalf of his son. The Kanawha County Sheriff's Department is also investigating the incident. The city of Dunbar and Officer Mason have been named in other excessive force complaints, which are pending in federal court. The complaint states that the Dunbar Police Department recently changed its use of force policy to allow further escalation and to include striking of a subject's head. Book book deserts are places without nearby libraries or bookstores, which can be very hard for children just learning to read. Morgantown High School senior Ronnie Azuri is trying to fight that and bring books to kids in West Virginia. Inside Appalachian's Mason Adams spoke with her. So tell us a little bit about the Literary Society and how it all got started. Yeah, so um, I'm the founder of the Literary Society and... I've always been a bibliophile my whole life, and I had a classics book club in middle school. But in ninth grade, I was working on a project to set up a small library for young girls when I learned about book deserts and the vast book deserts that exist in our own country. So I decided to combine my book club with my passion for ending the book desert into the Literary Society which is a play on words, uh, literary and tea, and we are an entirely youth-led 501c3 nonprofit with the mission of ending book deserts for preschool children from disadvantaged families. And this is a very specific demographic, um, ages three to five from disadvantaged families, because at this age, the children are too young to check out a book themselves from the library, and they're 
families or caregivers don't necessarily have the disposable income to go out and buy books. And in this country, in this demographic, that means Head Start because um, this is the federal preschool program for preschool children who come from households that live at or below the poverty line. And so that's for all of our Appalachian projects and West Virginia projects, we've been donating brand new, high quality, age appropriate books to preschool children Head Start programs and also foster care. You you mentioned reading about book deserts and kind of seeing the stats on the page. What's it look like once you started to dig in and getting in get into organizing to you know combat book deserts? What did it actually look like on the ground? What have you learned about it from your experiences? Well, it's definitely been very different from just reading about it, as you said, statistics on a page. But as I went out and I traveled throughout the state, and I've been traveling throughout Appalachia and the most remote and rural parts of the region, and seeing that these children, they, they have they faces, they have stories, and they have, they have backstories. I, I've been constantly met with questions at every stop. There's always new stories and new faces, but always the same question. Can we take this book home? And so it's always a delight for me to tell them that it was their book to take home and call their own. I love that. I love that. So you helped found the Literary Society. And then this past year, you know, almost a year ago, I guess, you all gifted a brand new book to every single preschool child in Head Start across West Virginia. Yes. That sounds like it took a lot of work. Oh, it did. It took a very long time, but I called this project the West Virginia Head Start Road Tour, and it was almost 7,000 brand new books in total. And I traveled to every single Head Start center in the state to donate these new books. And I held reading circles with the children. And it was a very special project because many of the children in Head Start didn't have any books at home. And I, all the titles were amazing, like Pete the Cat and If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. And it was my favorite part to give them the books. And then also some of the children, when I handed the books, they were jumping up and down from excitement. And so that was, that's truly was a, a delight. You can hear more of that interview, including a reading by Rania Zuri on our website at wvpublic.org. You're listening to West Virginia Morning. It's 7.50. We're expecting mostly sunny skies across the state today with highs in the upper 30s and 40s. Cloudier tonight with lows in the mid-20s to the mid-30s. Tomorrow, variable cloudiness and breezy with highs in the mid-50s to the mid-60s. And for Wednesday, cloudy with a chance of light rain and highs on Wednesday in the 50s to the low 60s. Support for West Virginia Public Broadcasting is provided by the law firm of Jenkins Finstermaker, PLLC, representing businesses and individuals throughout West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky, and Southeastern Ohio.
number of health-related issues have been on the table during this legislative session, from gender-affirming care to PEIA coverage and even foster care splitting up DHHR. For a reporter's roundtable on the legislature today, last Friday, Chris Schultz spoke with West Virginia Public Broadcasting's Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice and Alan Siegler from Mountain State Spotlight. Despite a surprising lack of of action from the legislature so far, um, why don't we start with the biggest story, unavoidable, DHHR. Uh, Alan, I understand that you've been following the the restructuring proposal. What can you tell us about that? I've been trying to. I've been doing my best. Um, I think that it's difficult to exactly know what the current status of DHHR is. Um, But that being said, there are, I've talked to a lot of experts and former employees who have talked about what needs to happen to run a successful health department. And they say a few things. They say, one, that the foundation is funding and data. You need to have the tools you need to be able to accomplish what you need to do. Outside of that, you have, um, you need to have ambitious goals and you need to have realistic plans to get to those goals. Um, from what it seems like right now, I think that it's fair to say that DHHR is lacking some data. Um, we talked about the All Pairs Claims database. Um, that's a database that could have the opportunity to help both DHHR and state in general save money. Is um, that the same one that the Senate uh, passed a, a bill to get rid of just this week? It did. It was supposed to be created in 20, 2011. Um, it never got built, um, and now it's being repealed. Um, it's a database that could help inform West Virginians, could help inform DHHR. It's going away. Um, but I think the takeaway when I think about DHHR restructuring is whether it's one department or three departments, um, it needs to have the tools to operate. Um, it needs to have funding. It needs to have um, data. Yeah, and I mean, we're still stuck, as far as I know, waiting for House action because the Senate came right out of the gate with a DHHR bill. They passed it that very first day. And Emily, speaking of the Senate, I know that you uh, watched the DHHR's presentation to the Senate Finance Committee this week. What did you hear in that meeting? Yeah. So they put forth their fiscal 2024 budget. Uh, it's about seven point or $7.7 billion. Uh, that's only a little bit more than last year, and it's a 75% from federal funding. However, the thing I found interesting in that meeting was the discussion exactly on that uh, restructuring and whether or not the restructuring itself will hold up the DHHR in its actionable items. There was a really interesting uh, exchange between Senator Maroney and Dr. Coben about that exact uh, issue here, that as long as we can't move forth on House Bill Senate Bill 2006, which is restructuring, we won't be able to solidify these budgets or make these kind of actions and policy uh, that you were speaking to to actually make it an effective organization. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't really considered the fact that until this restructuring goes through, DHHR is functionally in limbo. I mean, you can't really make any decisions until this this restructuring happens. Alan, have you heard anything about that from the experts that you've spoken to? I haven't heard specifically about that, but I think you're absolutely right. You see that. You see bills being passed right now that say something is going to be DHHR's responsibility. Um, DHHR might not exist in a year from now. Um, And I think it's a weird state. It's a weird state of affairs. Um, And now that the... um, Senate and the House have the ability to override any vetoes um, just with the number of votes they have. Um, It looks like it's going to go through. 
Yeah, well, I mean, again, we're all holding our breaths to see what happens on that one. But I think the other big story of the week that we cannot uh, ignore uh, and has certainly stolen the spotlight from DHHR a little bit is, is House Bill 2007. Um, Alan, I know that you followed the public hearing yesterday morning. It stretched for almost two hours. What did you hear from some of these uh, public voices? Yeah, so just for some background, H House Bill 2007 um, started out as a ban on surgery, gender-affirming surgery for minors in the state. Um, that, by all accounts, was not done in West Virginia. Um, it wasn't something that any provider did. It is not, in, except in rare cases, recommended. Um, that changed when the bill got to the Judiciary, um, the House Judiciary Committee. It became extended to gender-affirming medication, which does, is prescribed in the so, Alan, just, just to clarify, when we talk about gender-affirming medication, we're talking about things like hormone blockers? Is that we what are, we're talking puberty about? blockers and um, sex hormones, so estrogen and testosterone as well, too. Um, those are prescribed to kids right now. And the American Medical Association, um, among many other medical bodies, have found these to be safe and effective um, treatments for um, reducing depression and anxiety, um, improving mental health across the board for transgender um, transgender Americans, transgender West Virginians. Um, so they extended that in the judiciary. So this public hearing was in response, held in response to that extension. Um, you had people coming from all over the state. You had people, I spent a lot of time with a group from West Virginia Wesleyan that came to talk about, uh, to, to protest this bill, to oppose this bill. A couple professors spoke, but a lot of students came to also share show their opposition um, to this bill. That was Chris Schultz speaking with West Virginia Public Broadcasting's Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice and Alan Siegler from Mountain State Spotlight. To hear more of this interview, visit our website and tune in to the legislature today on both television and radio Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day at our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Chuck Anzalevich. This has been West Virginia Morning. <laughs>